Well, turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 15, 2 Samuel 15. We're continuing our study of the history of Israel. We're actually seeing it through the eyes of the kings, and we're seeing right now the life of King David. He was a great man, a man after God's own heart. And 2 Samuel really deals a lot more with him, and we're seeing his life. And you can really look at it in two big sections. This is the sort of the handout that we gave at the start of our study. Uh, David is basically the author, as I know this, the reign of David, triumph and trouble. First 10 chapters of this book, David is in triumph. Everything goes great. He becomes the king over everything, and it just does wonderful. And then in chapter 11 through 24, chapter 11 is David where he has the, the sexual sin with Bathsheba, and then all of the family troubles and everything that goes on. And so the whole rest of the book really is is some troubling times, and that's what we're at right now. Well, David's son, one of his sons has rebelled. We saw that one of the sons killed another son. That son ran off. Now the son has come back, and, and we're seeing really, and I hate to say it, but we're seeing discipline in David's life. God has sent the prophet Nathan to David and basically told him that because of the sin, because of what he'd done, there would be consequences, there'd be trouble in the household. And what we see now is Absalom, who is David's handsome son, he's rebelling. He's rebelled against his father and tries to take over the kingdom. It's a really sad time. And so what are the people going to do? What is David going to do? And one of the things we're really looking at is we're looking at loyalty and that kind of thing. In fact, as we look at our study, we're going to see uh, the, basically the servanthood we're going to see servanthood, faithful and loyal service. That's one of the things we're going to see. And when we look at David, you're going to see there are people who are just faithful to David. And we'll see more about that. Then we're going to see the sovereignty of God. Everything is working. We'll see what David says about it. And then the whole idea of reaping and sowing, sowing, reaping, that whole idea of what happens. So a lot of good things there. And we'll see them as we go through the passage. I, I, I hate to say it, but it's a really a sad Sad part of the book. First part of the book, first chapter, 11 chapters, or first 10 chapters, are so fun to study, seeing David and victory and everything. The last part of the book is, is hard to study because we're seeing some terrible things. But David is a great man. And one of these days, all of us who know Christ is Savior, when we get to the kingdom, David's going to be ruling, and we'll get to see him. And we can say to him, hey, we, uh, we enjoyed, uh, we, we loved your life, and, and uh, we learned from it. Going into my senior year of high school, I'm, this is a long time ago, um, I met a man. He came to our school. Uh, he became our football coach. His name was Bob Tyler, and he co- came to coach at Meridian High School. And I saw this man, something unique. I, I got to be with him, and I saw that he cared about others. Now, I, at that time, I was not a Christian. I was not a believer, but he was. And I didn't know it, but I knew there was something special about him. And I realized that he was pretty unique, and he became my hero. And, man, I loved him, and I watched him, and I wanted to be like him. And I would do almost anything for him. That's what I thought. I said, you know, he's just a great. Uh, we were on an all-star team together. He was the coach, and there were other players and things. And even just during the week that we were all on an all-star team together, even the rest of the kids, they'd say, gosh, Coach Tyler's so great. We'd, we'd do anything for him. Later on, he became the head coach at Mississippi State, and he hired me. That's how I got to go to Mississippi State. And so it, it's just it been great. He's still alive. I talk to him occasionally. He's still my hero. You know, in our lives, there are people that we would do things for. We'd say, they're, they're one of my heroes. Here's a question. We who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, he has given to us eternal life, what will we do for Christ? Do we offer our lives as sacrifices? Will we willing to go anywhere or do anything for our Savior? He died on the cross. He paid for our sin. He rose again. He's the one that gives us eternal life. What will we do? Will we offer our lives? 
Will we say, God, I want you to take my life? And remember, salvation is a gift. It's not offered as believing in Christ for eternal life and you're saved and you're saved forever. But as a believer, would you say to God, God, I want my life to count for you. I will go wherever you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I mean, think about that. Would you do that for Jesus Christ? Well, this morning, we're going to see David is, and the loyalty of some of the people with David. And he's willing to leave Jerusalem, and there's loyalty there. And so, just as people are loyal to David, would we be loyal to our Savior? Would we live for him and go wherever he wants us to go and do whatever he wants us to do? Well, let's think about it. This, this is a sad time. David has faithful servants with him. Let's remember what happened. David had a number of sons, but he had an older son named Amnon. The third son down was named Absalom. The second son, we don't know what happened to him. So Amnon would have been in line for the next king, and Absalom killed him over some issues. Basically, we did him with a sister and some, you know, some, some really bad things. And so then Absalom runs away, and he's gone for three years, and finally David invites him to come back. And when he comes back to, to live in Jerusalem again, David says, he can come back, but he can't see me. And for two whole years, David wouldn't even see his son. Well, that, that didn't go very well. And then toward the very end of chapter 14, we saw that David brought his son back, and, and Absalom came in and bowed down before David, and David kissed him, and, and they're saying, okay, everything's okay, but everything is not okay. Everything is not okay from this time Absalom has a plan to take the kingdom from David. You can almost see Absalom say, okay, I had, I had to be gone for three years. Then my dad lets me come back, but he says, you can't see me. And so for two years, Absalom says, for two years you embarrassed me for me not being able to go before the king. And now I'm back, but I'm not really back. I'm going to take this kingdom away from my father. I'm going to pay him back for what he has done for me. That's what we're seeing. And what we saw last week in the very first part of chapter 15, because we'll start at verse 19 this morning, but in the first part, we saw that Absalom did some things. He had a plan. First of all, he elevated himself. We saw last week that he took 50 men to run before him, some horses and a chariot, and as he would go through Jerusalem, he would have 50 men running in front of him saying, here comes Absalom, here comes, and everybody would look at him and go, oh man, that's the king's son. He is so important. So he elevated himself. He was critical of David. He would stand out in front of the city. As people came up with problems, he would, they were supposed to go see the king, and he would say, what, what's your problem? Oh, if I were only king, I would take care of you. My father's too busy. But if I were the king, I would take care of you. Then he goes on and makes promises to the people about what he would do. He flatters the people. We saw all that last time. And his plan is to steal the hearts of the people. And it goes, the Bible goes on to say that he did steal the hearts of the people. And the people begin to say, well, maybe Absalom would be better than David. David's too busy and Absalom cares about us. Well, we saw last time that in 2 Samuel 15, verse 10, that they spread people out everywhere. And Absalom says, we're going to blow the trumpet. When we blow the trumpet... We're going to declare me as king. And that's what they did. And messengers came to David and said, the hearts of the people with Absalom, he's blown the trumpet. What are we going to do? And so what did David do? We see the response by David at this morning and the response by his friends. Well, the response by David, he flees. David fled and David had some plans. Now, let me remind you of something when we think about him fleeing. I've said this many times. David is not fleeing because he is afraid of fighting a battle. David's been a warrior since he was 14 or 15 years old. He's not afraid of anything, but he wants to protect the city. And he says there's no escape, there's no escape for him. If he stays in the city, they'll surround the city. So he leaves, but he also wants to save the city to not have innocent people die. 
In fact, he says in verse 14, he says, we need to go in haste, lest calamity come on us, and they strike the city with the edge of the sword. David did not want Jerusalem destroyed over this battle. So he decides to leave. And as we look at our passage, we're going to see David's response, how he flees the city, but he has a plan. Now remember, David is a smart man. David's been a great, great, great king, and we're going to see what he does. Uh, as, we, as we look at this, watch the loyalty of the people to David. David is a man after God's own heart, and our goal, our goal is to be men and women after God's own heart. In the same way that David said, look, I trust God, I, I blew it, God disciplines me, I'm living for God, I want my life to count for him, all the rest of the days, whatever God has for me, I want to live for him. We need to say the same thing. We need to say, I want my life to count for Jesus Christ. Let me remind you, of this. I, I trusted Jesus Christ, I believed in him for salvation, for eternal life, when I was 19 years old. I wandered into a Bible study. I didn't know it was a Bible study. They shut the door. I couldn't get out. And I heard, and it's true, and I heard the message, and I believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life. That's when I was 19. It wasn't until I was 25 or 26, when I was coaching at Mississippi State, that I made a decision, that I understood. I already had already known that salvation is a gift. It's faith. You're saved. You're saved forever. But I had already been taught by people, listen, as a believer, you should live for Christ. I was afraid. See, I thought that if I said to God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do, he wouldn't let me be a coach because that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a coach. And I was coaching at Mississippi State. I was coaching track and football. I always wanted to be a coach. I was afraid that if I said to God, I'll give you my life and I'll go anywhere and do anything you want me to do, he would make me like a missionary or a pastor. That's what I really thought would happen. And the truth is, he did. But it was later on. I got to coach for a long time. And so, uh, you know, let me just say this for you. Every one of us in this room, I hope and pray that every one of you in this room already know that you have eternal life because you have believed in Christ to give you eternal life. He's the Savior. He died and rose again. He offers a gift to you. By grace, you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. I hope and pray every one of you in this room have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life. The second thing is I hope you've got either, and I know many of you in this room, you've already come to the point where you said to God, I want my life to count for you. I will go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I know it's scary. It's real scary to give up your life because you are giving up your life. Salvation is a gift, costs us nothing. Discipleship costs us our lives. And I hope and pray that if you haven't ever got to that point, that somewhere down the line you'll say, I want my life to count for Christ. This is what David is doing, and this is what we should do. And our goal is to be men and women for Christ. Well, here's what happened. So they started leaving the city. And so verse 16 of 2 Samuel 15 says, the king went out and the household with him, and he left the, some of the women there. And then it says the king went out and the people, they got to the last house. All the servants are passing by. The Gittites are coming by. All these people are coming by, and they're all leaving. Well, this morning, we're going to meet some people that are leaving with David. And we're going to see what David wants them to do, and we're going to see their loyalty. It's pretty amazing. Look at verse 19, 2 Samuel 15, verse 19. Then the king said to the Gittite, and he's talking to a certain guy. His name, he comes there, and he says, The king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why will you also go with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile. Return to your own place. You only came yesterday. And shall I today make you wander with us while I go where I will? Return and go back to your brothers. Mercy and truth be with you. So here's this guy 
named Ittai. He's a Gittite. He's not Jewish, but he's been with David for a while. He's come, and now he's come to live in Jerusalem. And when David is fleeing, this man takes his family and some of his soldiers, and he's leaving with David. And David looks at him and says, what, what are you doing? You don't need to go with me. Look, I don't even know where I'm going. You, you only got here yesterday, meaning you, you didn't grow up here. Being with me is, you don't have to do that. Just go back and take care of yourself. You don't have to be with me. We don't even know what's going to happen to me. And, and he says, the Lord knows where I will wander or where I will go. And so you probably ought to go back. And so David turns to this man and says, you don't need to, you don't need to waste your life. We don't know what's going to happen to me. I may never come back as the king. And so what does this man say to David? Verse 21. But Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives and as my lord the king lives, surely wherever my lord the king may be, whether for death or for life, there also your servant will be. He made an oath. And remember, be careful when you make an oath because you're supposed to keep an oath. When you say, I swear, I make an oath to God, then you need to keep it. And he says, wherever you go, I'll go. It reminds me a little bit of, of Ruth. You remember in the book of Ruth where she says to Naomi, wherever you go, I'll go. Your people will be my people. Your God is my God. She, she said, I'm going to be with you. Get, this guy, the Gittite, uh, says, wherever you go, I'm going. It, it doesn't matter. And, and whether I live or die, I may go with you out in the wilderness and they may attack us and kill us all, or we may come back and you'll be the king again. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Wherever you go, I'll go. David, you're my king. Now, look at this. If a man can be a loyal servant to another man, how much greater can we be loyal servants to our God and Savior, Jesus Christ? He died on the cross for us. He paid for our sin. He rose again, conquering death. He gives us eternal life as a gift simply by faith. He makes us his children. As many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. We are his children should we live for him and serve him? The great truth of all, if a, if, a, if a regular man can be loyal to David like that, can we be loyal and serve our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? Think about it. He says, listen, whatever, how should we respond to the grace of God? Let me tell you, there are certain people who will say this. When we tell people that when you believe in Jesus Christ, you have what? What do you get when you believe? Eternal life. How long does that last? Forever. So there are people who will say, if you tell people that if they believe in Christ, they're saved and saved forever, they'll live badly. No, they won't. When people understand that Jesus died for them, paid for sin, rose again, and the moment we believe, he gives to us eternal life, we see the grace of God. What we do, and what you do, and I've watched you do it, you live for him. You don't take advantage of his grace. You say, because you love me, because you have saved me, I want to live for you. And I know many of you in this room, I've watched your lives. You're amazing. You want your lives to count for Jesus Christ. And so if a, if, if a regular old person can be loyal to another person, how much can we be to our Savior? Should we respond to the grace of God? We are servants. We've been bought with a price. Romans 12, 1. We offer our lives as living sacrifices. Hebrews 12. We're running the race looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so this man named Ittai, he says to David, no, 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 no. I'm not going back. I'm going to be with you. You're my king. And whether it's life or death, I'm going to be with you. 
And what we say is this, we got Jesus Christ and he is our savior and he loves us. He died for us. He gives us eternal life. And whether it's life or death, we're going to stand for him. We're going to live for him in this world, in this community. We're going to make disciples. We're going to tell people about Jesus Christ. And we're going to stand for him in this life at this time. We have to. And that's what, get, you know, this Gittite guy did. Now, notice, uh, and so they're going to leave. And David, later on, this man is going to be rewarded for his faithfulness. You'll see that. Then David said in verse 22, David said to Ittai, okay, okay, go and pass over, go on. So Ittai the Gittite passed over with all, look, watch this, with all his men and all the little ones who were with him. That's their families. He didn't just take soldiers with him. This man took all of his family and their, fa- and their families and took them all to be with King David. You ever thought about this? David has fleeing, he's fleeing twice in his life. The first time we saw back in, in 1 Samuel when he's fleeing from Saul, and now this time he's fleeing from Absalom. And so they're leaving the city. Notice verse 22 again. There David said to Ittai, go and pass over. So Ittai the Gittite passed over and his men. And then verse 23, and they're all leaving. They're all in all the country. They were weeping with loud voices as the people passed over. The king also passed over the brook Kidron and all the people passed over toward the way of wilderness. So they're leaving the city. They're leaving the city going across the Kidron Valley. This is... this. The map is not exact. This is, a, this is the city of David. This would be the city of David when, when David was there. The temple is up here. It had not been built yet. Okay, there's just the tabernacle. And then this is called the Kidron Valley. And then as you cross the Kidron Valley, you go to the Mount of Olives. And this, up, going up this way is going to the Mount of Olives. So they're all right at the edge of the city. And they're all crossing over the Kidron Valley to get out of the city to leave. And so it says, David told him to pass over. Then all the people were weeping and they're going out and they're passing over the Kidron Valley. Do you, do you, here's something to think about. Do you realize that David crossed that Kidron Valley when he was betrayed by his son? Jesus crossed the Kidron thing right there when he was betrayed by Judas. Jesus, Jesus was crucified outside the city. You understand that? Jesus went across that Kidron Valley to be crucified. Same place. So all the people are weeping. I mean, it's just a sad, sad time. Well, all is not lost because David has a plan. Look at verse 24. Now, now, behold, uh, Zadok, who came, and the Levites who were carrying the ark of the covenant of God, and they set the ark of God, uh, the ark of God, and Abathar also came up with all the people had finished passing the city. So what happened is two of the priests came out, and they're carrying the ark of the covenant. Now, the truth is, they're not supposed to be doing that. I mean, you don't just carry that thing around unless God told you to carry it around. Well, they're bringing it out. And David sees them bringing the ark, and he's going to go, what are you doing? Don't bring the ark out here. And they're basically saying, well, wherever David goes, we're going, and we're taking the ark with us. But David says, no, 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 no. You're not supposed to take the ark. You remember the last time the Jewish people took the ark out somewhere? They went out to fight the Philistines, and the Philistines killed them and stole the ark and kept it for like nine months. And so David doesn't want the ark taken. He knows the ark which is where God would dwell among his people. The ark is supposed to be in Jerusalem. And so they were bringing the ark out. So notice what David says. Then the king said to Zadok, this is verse 25, return the ark of God to the city if, if I find favor in the sight of the Lord and he brings me back again and shows me both it and his habitation. You know, maybe, maybe I will. He said, listen, don't bring it out here. You take the ark of God back. Take it back to the city. And if God shows favor to me, he'll bring me back and I'll get to see it. But verse 26 But if he should say, I have no delight in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good. David says, listen, it may be 
get the ark back. Don't bring it with me. Get the ark back where it belongs. And if God says, one of these days, I'll get, I'll, I'll get to go back and I'll get to see it, everything will be great. But if not, let God do to me as seems good to him. He's trusting God. He seems to say, listen, I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know whether I'll get to be king again. I don't know what's going to happen while I'm out here and running away. I don't know what's going to happen, but I've got to trust God. And that's one of the things for us, they're, they're, that we've got to trust God in the trials and problems of life. And that's why he says, trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Live for him, and he will make your path straight. Some translations say he will direct your path. The idea there, he's going to make it where you know what you're doing or where he's, he, he's going to take you. And so trust him. And we have to trust him because in, in every life in this room, there are things going on. And you don't know. And you could say, I don't know what's going to happen. Or I don't know what God's doing. And we have to trust him. And that's what David is doing. And he's saying, take the ark back. And if I get to go back someday, fine. If not, fine. Well, David has a plan, though. And he's going to talk to the priest. Uh, David, David knows that God is a God of grace and mercy. And he's in control. And he's working all these things out. So he talks to the priest. And look, Zadok was a priest and a prophet. Look what the verse says. Uh, Verse 27, the king said to Zadok, the priest, are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace and your two sons with you, your son Amenhez and Jonathan, the son of Abathar. Now, let me remind you, Zadok came and there's the other priest. There are two priests standing there, Abathar and Zadok. And they both have sons. And one's, one is Jonathan and the other one is Hinamez. And so these two priests, let me just give you a heads up. Zadok is always going to be loyal to David. Abathar will not be loyal to David in the future. Right now, they all are. So here are these two priests with the ark, with their families, and David says, go back. But then he said to Zadok, aren't you a seer? I mean, aren't you a prophet? I mean, when you think about a seer, you think of a prophet, you think of Samuel. We saw him back at the very first of First Samuel. And so he says, listen, go back. Return to the city in peace, and your two sons with you, your son Ahimez and Jonathan, the son of Abathar, see what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait at the fords of the wilderness until the word comes from you to inform me. Now, here's what he says. He says, Zadok and Abathar, go back. Then you got your sons. I'm going to cross the Mount of Olives. I'm going to go down, and I'm going to get to the Jordan River, which is a, it's a good many miles. When I get there, I'm going to wait And not cross over until I hear from you. So what David is doing, he's going to have the two priests to be there. They're going to get information. They're going to give it to their sons. Their sons are going to get the information to David. That's the plan. There's more to it. We'll see it in just a minute. But that's what he says. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to do that. He's sending them back. And so he's sending them back to gain information. So he says in verse 28, So I'm going to wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to me. Therefore, Zadok and Abathar returned the ark of God to Jerusalem, and they remained there. So he's sending them back to get information and to come tell him. So they went back. Now, they're going across, and notice verse 30. And David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went. Think about this. And his head was covered, and he walked barefoot. All the people were with him, with each with covered heads, and they were going weeping as they went. Can you imagine King David, no shoes, he doesn't have a crown, I'm sure, and he's got his head covered, and they're all crying as they go out of the city, and they go across the valley and up the Mount of Olives. And here's what the Mount of Olives looks like today. And 
This is if we're standing in Jerusalem. There's a gate back over here called the Eastern Gate or the Golden Gate. You come out and there's a, there's a kind of a path that goes up this way and around this way and up. And at the time of Jesus, of course, not all this was there. That's definitely, that's a church. That wasn't there. That wasn't there. And, and so he would, they would up the, up the side of the hill and goes on the top. When you get to the top of Mount of Olives, there, there were, in that Jesus' time, there were two little cities, one on that side and one on the other side. One was called Bethany. That's where Martha and Mary and, and, Zachar- and uh, Lazarus lived, if you remember. So that's where, and so they're leaving and they're going out and going up the Mount of Olives. Now, David has a plan. And, and they're all crying, they're all weeping. And here's what we find out. Verse 31, now someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, make the counsel of Ahithophel foolishness. Now, who is Ahithophel? Do you remember who he is? He was David's advisor. Now, when the king was a king, of course, he has a king, he, he needed to make decisions. He had advisors. Ahithophel was an advisor. Also, he has another guy named Hushai, and he's an advisor. But they said, when people in the Bible, it actually says that Ahithophel was so smart and so wise that sometimes when he would give his information, people would say, that's just like God talking. He's so smart. And so Ahithophel was David's best advisor but he's now gone over to be with Absalom. Now, we w- wondered why. If you remember, Ahithophel was the grandfather of Bathsheba. We talked about this already. And he did not like David because he knew what David did to his granddaughter, Bathsheba, and what he did to his granddaughter's husband, Uriah. And so when he gets the opportunity, instead of helping David, he goes over to Absalom's side. That's his plan. So they come to David and they say, David, Ahithophel's over with Absalom. And all David can say is, oh Lord, make his counsel foolishness because he's smart. And let me tell you, we're going to see his advice in just a little bit. Not not today, but next week. And his advice is right. And we're going to see what happens. And I mean, he's brilliant. Well, we're going to meet somebody else. Look at happened. It happened as David, this is verse, verse 32. It happened that David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped. And behold, Hushi the archite met him with, with the coat torn and dust on his head. So he meets another guy. We're going to see another loyal guy. This is his name. His name is Hushi. He's the archite. He's David's advisor. Now, Ahithophel was David's advisor. This man is also David's advisor. He didn't go to the other side. He's with David. He's loyal to David. And notice it says he had his coat torn, dust on his head. You remember in that day and time, if you were upset, bothered, mad, scream, you'd tear your clothes, you'd take dirt and put it on your head. It was a sign of mourning. He comes out to David and he, you know, he looks like he's mourning. And apparently he's an older person. Watch. David said to him, verse 33, if you pass over to me, then you'll just be a burden to me. He's basically saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, you don't need to go. I mean, I hate to say it, but we can read between the lines. You'll just be a burden. We'll get out there. We've got to be running for our lives. We'll look around and we'll say, oh, he fell down again. Get him up. We've got to get out of here. He's not going to be able to make it. But he's David's advisor. So David says, wait a minute. Verse 34, if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I've been your father's servant in the past, so I will now be your servant then you can thwart the counsel of Ahithophel for me. He says, the best thing to do is just go back. Go back and pretend to be on Absalom's side and go into him and say, I'm ready to serve you just like I served your father. And then 
when they start coming up with the plans and Ahithophel starts telling them what to do, you can thwart it. You can thwart the counsel of Ahithophel. You can go back and confuse the counsel of Ahithophel. That's the plan. And so he says, are not Zadok and Abathar the priests there? So it shall be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall report to Zadok the Abathar the priest. Behold, their two sons are with them, or him as Zadok's son, Jonathan, Abathar's son, and by them you shall send me everything that you hear. So he says, here's the plan. You're going to go in and pretend to be the advisor for Absalom. Whatever you hear, you tell the two priests, the two priests will tell their two sons, and then they will come give me the message. Whew, that's how we're going to get out of this mess. That's how we're going to find out what's going on. And so he's got a spy network all planned to go. Now look at the very end. It says, so, and I'm not going to read the whole verse. I'll read the, the last part of the verse in just a minute. So Hushi, David's friend, came into the city. The word for friend there is not a friend like a friendship. It's actually the Hebrew word for advisor. It could have been translated. So then David's advisor went back into the city. I think the writer put friend because he wanted to show that he was David's friend connected with him. So this is where we stop and we think for a second. So David is run off, running for his life. He's got a bunch of people with him and they are loyal to David. They'll go wherever he goes. He sends the priest back with the ark so they can get information. He sends, he sends uh, Hushi back to get information to tell the priest, to tell the sons so they can come tell David. David's going to wait at the Jordan River to figure out what to do next. And we'll see all of this. Wow. So notice the last part, verse 37. So it says, so Hushi, David's friend, came into the city and Absalom came into Jerusalem. He's come. He's come as the king. You can see Absalom, by the way, we talked about Absalom is the most handsome person in all of Israel. It said it. It said from the tip of his head to his toes, there was not a defect. He was the most handsome person. Everybody said, wow, that guy is amazing. He has now come into Jerusalem and he says, I am the king. What's going to happen? Well, what are we saying? David's response to the overthrow, he has fled to protect the city. He has plans. He sent his spies. He sent Hushi to confuse the council of Ahithophel. And we'll see what happens. David says, I hope I get to go back, but I don't know. And sometimes we say, I hope this happens, but I don't know. I just have to trust God. Because sometimes things go this way. And sometimes things go this way, but whatever God does is always right. And so we have to trust him. So let's faithfully serve our Savior and Master, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for us. He paid for our sins. He rose again. He offers eternal life as a gift. Whoever believes in him will never perish, but have eternal life. We've been bought with a price. Remember 1 Corinthians 6, 19? What do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit is in you. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, in our bodies. So what should we do? As those who belong to Jesus Christ, that he died and rose again for us, he gives us eternal life. We become a child of God. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. What should we do? We should glorify God in our lives. We should live for him. Let's serve him. Let's offer our lives as living sacrifices. I look back now and realize I shouldn't have been afraid. After I trusted Christ for those years, knowing that I wanted to be a coach, I shouldn't have been afraid to say to God, I give you my life. I should have known that whatever his plan would be better than whatever I could ever think. 
And he let me coach for a while before he changed my desires. I get to do this. He, he sent me to Oklahoma, <laughs> which I love. Examine your life. As I said earlier, I hope every one of you in this room that you have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And so you have eternal life and you're saved and saved forever. But what are you going to do with this life while you're here? Would you say to him, Lord, take my life. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. It's scary because you're giving up your life. It's called discipleship. Jesus said, if you don't take up your cross and die to yourself, you cannot be my disciple. No tell him what he has for you. He'll use you for his glory. Psalm 139, he, he designed you. He made you with gifts, talents, and abilities. And he wants your life to count for him. Because one day, we're going to stand before him, not for salvation, but for rewards. What do we want to hear him say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's trust God in trials. Wow. He's in control. I love David here. I mean, he says, well, if I get to go back, great. If I don't get to go back, God's going to do whatever he wants to do, and i just going to trust him all the way through it. If we know that everything is in God's hands, we can leave everything in God's hands. And that's really the truth. Trust him in all the situations. Every one of us have things that we are worried about, scared about, look forward and say, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. We have to trust him. Finally, let's realize that sin brings, brings discipline. And the whole rest of this whole book is all about the disciplined hand of God on David. And David is a great one. And I, I, I hope someday I get to see him and talk to him. Uh, he'll be in Jerusalem. I don't know where I'll be in the kingdom. I'll probably be in Oklahoma. Uh, but who knows, right? And that'll be a great place to be. Uh, but I hope I get to see him. And he could say, you know, you look at my life. I did some great things, I did some bad things, but God used me all the way. That's what he's going to say. God deals in love with his children. He'll never leave us or forsake us. What should we fear?